Welcome to the Every Day is Saturday podcast. The number one motivation show on the planet. No more Mondays for you. It's time to make every day Saturday. This is the podcast where we help you to accept who you are, not where you are. On the roller coaster of life, you know we only sit in the front seat champion. So make sure you are fastened in Let's go. Tired of feeling run down all the time during the week? We can help you make every day feel like it's a Saturday. Let's go pack your bags. It's time to leave Averageville. Introducing the man who thinks abnormal stands for above normal. When you're on fire, people will travel from miles around to watch you burn, baby. We are fired up. The host of the Every Day is Saturday show, Sam Crowley. All right, welcome back to the show. Hey, it's Sam Crowley. Uh, it's a Murray Miller interview. So if we're talking with my buddy Murray Miller, we must be talking about money, which has become kind of a popular segment here on the Everyday Saturday podcast. So Murray Miller, how are you, buddy? Good, Sam. How are you today? Good. What are you doing? Where, uh, where does today find you? What neck of the woods? You in the Northeast still? I am, actually. I just got back yesterday. I was in Atlanta for about four days on business. It was amazing. And I got back last night and getting ready for a few days here in the Northeast before I head out to uh, L.A., I think, on Wednesday next week. Wow, you're a man in motion. <laughs> right now, it seems that way. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. We just moved our daughter into University of Cincinnati for her last year. We got a girl, uh, one daughter starting first grade and two high schoolers, a junior and a senior. So it's been a crazy week here too. Wow. Wow. That sounds a little bit more complicated than what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, man. It's wild. Well, you know, we love it, but it's still, it's, you can't, there's no substitute. It's kind of bittersweet. You know, the end of the summer comes and the kids go back to school, which means not as much pool time or anything for them. They're in school five days a week. And then, you know, then here comes fall. I actually love fall though. That's what I missed the most when I left the Northeast for a couple of years. I lived in South Florida back in the late eighties. I really missed the change of season. So mm, me too. I did. I lived in Fort Lauderdale for quite some time myself and I did miss it as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, Hey, Murray, uh, I never send Murray any questions ahead of time, uh, but I did give him a heads up. I shot him a text message. I said, Hey, I would love to talk about uh, one of my favorite books, the Cash Flow quadrant, not to talk about the book per se, but just the thought of the difference between the entrepreneurial mindset and the employee mindset. So the very first book, I didn't even know. I mean, we're talking 2002. I had no idea how entrepreneurs thought. And I mean, I knew people owned businesses, but I just didn't get it. I didn't know any of the real behind the scenes stuff. And so uh, I went to a real estate boot camp and they told us to go read this book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I, I picked it up. I thought, geez, that's a weird title, but I, okay. And I started reading it. I'm not really a reader. I'm more of an audio video guy. I like to listen or watch. And I could not put that book down. I was like, holy crap, what, a, what an amazing concept. So then I, I went out and just bought The Cashflow Quadrant by Robert Kiyosaki as well. And that described the, the four different quadrants of the employee, the self-employed, the business owner and the investor. And it really, you know, one of the, uh, one of the things that really jumped out at me, Murray, is that Kiyosaki talked about, you know, the employee gets paid, the government takes their cut and they get what's left over. The entrepreneur business owner gets revenue. They get paid first. And then the, the government gets what's left over. And I thought that was just a powerful concept. So when you think about, first of all, have you read that book, by the way, Cashflow Quadrant? 
not only have I read the book, it, it, and it's kind of like a Bible to me for mm -hmm. so many different things, but just ironically, when I was in Atlanta having dinner with these business folks, someone mentioned to me that, that you see that man that just walked in the restaurant? And I said, yeah. Well, that guy right there is the son of Rich Dad in the Rich Dad, Poor Dad book. That is actually his son. So who Robert Kiyosaki talks about in the book is his Rich Dad. Yeah, that was the guy's son right there. And I was like, oh, wow, that's so cool. So anyway, just just this interesting side note. Isn't that something? Wow. I didn't even know that. So yeah. you've you've read the book. What are your thoughts? I, I figured you did. I didn't ask you before our interview, but I figured you did. When you think about if somebody's listening to this podcast and you had to give them a basic talk to me like I'm a I'm a third grader uh, differentiator between an employee and you could go with it wherever you want, Murray. You could talk about mindset, you talk about money, whatever, and an entrepreneur. Where does that take you? Just without any preparation, just yeah. no filters. Where does that take you? The difference well, between the, the two? That's an awesome question because the first thing that comes to my mind is something that actually Kiyosaki said in the book. And then he said that whenever he was getting started, his rich dad told him, don't ever take a job for money. Take a job to learn something. Mm. And if you take a job for money, you'll get money and it'll be over. If you take a job to learn something, you can take it on to the next level. That's the main difference that I see between an entrepreneurial mindset and an employee mindset. Now, there's nothing wrong with being an employee. I mean, the country runs based on people being employed by, you know, gainfully employed and being able to put food and, you know, have a roof over their head and all that stuff. So there's nothing wrong with being an employee. But typically, typically, the mindset of an employee is, you know, there's only a certain amount of time during the day that I'm going to be in quote, unquote, work mode. And when that time stops, I'm going to move on to a different part of my life. And they more or less, you know, just put things in compartments, compartmentalize the, the, the work life from the home life. And, and that's good. It, it creates balance. Most entrepreneurs that I know and business owners think about their business all the time. They think about the problems that they can possibly solve. They're constantly and never ending trying to continually figure out ways to improve. And it's just like not work to them. Most entrepreneurs, it's just like they're just in this, this mindset of getting better and solving more problems and creating more opportunities. Um, so that's, I think, the major difference that I see between the mindset between someone that wants to work for someone and get paid for a job and someone that wants to create their own way of earning an income. Yeah, no, that's great. And I love that you talked about, look, there is nothing wrong with having a job. My issue has always been all of the individuals who I know, and you can count me in that group when I had one, uh, going to a job that they hate. Mm -hmm. And it just mm -hmm. makes you so miserable. And so if you're going to have a job, you may as well do something that you really enjoy or something close to it. And I would say have an exit plan because most people would like to be free. I mean, it's not, I don't know. I grew up with my mom worked in a factory as a nurse. She hated her job. She dreaded even going. And she used to hitchhike in the bad weather all the time. Our car would break down. And I would just like, man, that sucks. Like that just mm. sucks just to have to put food on the table. Now she didn't know what she didn't know. And my dad left when I was three months old or eight kids. I mean, it was a whole different ball game, but still, I was never raised around anything that had to do with, oh, I love what I do. Yeah, I love what I do. You know, my kids, you know, you know it's funny. Here's a side story. My, my daughter, when she was in eighth grade a while back, 
you had to fill out what your parents did for a living. And where it said, dad, she put unemployed. <laughs> is he, is he employed or unemployed? She put unemployed. So, which is hilarious. And I mean, that, that's great. I just think it, you know, my kids have had uh, not a perfect role model by it. Nobody's perfect, but at least they've grown up in a complete 180 and about, you know, do you have to have a job? Do you not have to go to have a job? Do you have to go to college? And I got a daughter graduating from UC. She loves it. She loves college. Mm. I didn't, I didn't like college at all. And I said, I'm not going to push my belief system on you, but I, I don't believe in it unless you're going to go into some real specialized area, but you go and you be your best version of yourself. Just make sure you love what you do. And I think what you described, Murray, the entrepreneurial journey, I don't know a lot of entrepreneurs who hate what they do. You know what I mean? That's absolutely right. And, you know, a better category that your daughter could have put down if there was such a category was not employed or unemployed. It would have been unemployable. Un because psychologically unemployable. Yeah, exactly. Because you've had your own gig. You are, you are your own boss. You make your own hours. You do your own thing. And that is the mindset of most entrepreneurs. They, they live for that freedom. And I consider myself a lifestyle entrepreneur because all I want to do is create a better lifestyle for me and the people that I'm involved with in, in business. You know, uh, Sam, it wasn't too long ago, I want to say two years, that Bentley College, which is a, a major university up here in New England, did a exit um, interview of the graduating class. And they asked them what would be their ideal job after they left college. Over 65% of the class said they would rather be in their own business than working for someone else. And that was just a, just a good mix of what's going on from the millennials and the Gen Zs that are graduating. They don't want to go into the, you know, the 40 year plan working 40 hours a week for one company. That's just not, that's history. That's just not, not even something that people even think of anymore. It's not even reality. And now, of course, the coming, you know, through this pandemic that we've had the last almost two years now, we are in a situation that um, I think most people are realizing, I like the idea of being able to work from home, work on my own. I have seen more posts on Facebook and Instagram of people that were in the restaurant or hospitality business or uh, in the salon industry or in one of those industries that was a service industry that was majorly impacted by the pandemic saying, here's my new career. I'm now a consultant. I'm now a, a business strategist. I'm now a coach. I'm now doing something else. I'm in network marketing but they're independent because they're trying to build that financial wall around their family. Like we talk about all the time. So the mindset's completely different, right? Every, everything's shifting right now. It is. And that's a great point. The pandemic really uh, brought that to light. So many people, um, you know, it's funny. I joined a country club this year for the first time in forever. Mm. And I was asking, Hey, what was it like last year during the, uh, the pandemic? They're like, Oh my God, we could, now we're a private club and we, we pride ourselves on no tea time. So you don't have to, there's none of this, like, you know, trying to get on some speed dial a week ahead to come, just come show up and we'll get you out on the first tee nice. you know, within 20 minutes. There's no tea times. Love so, that. but he said last year, that was a different story, buddy. We had so many people working from home that they would, they would cut out at like noon. These, <laughs> I mean, we're talking about engineers, accountants, uh, Procter and Gamble's headquarters is here. So a lot of P and G guys and girls, and it was flooded. And they're like, we've never had anything like this before. And I, I said, wow, imagine that. I mean, imagine these individuals, they got a taste of this working from home now. And you're right. Some of them never went back. And we're talking about six-figure employees. Right. Like, 
I'd rather see my kids, pick them up at the bus stop at three o'clock in the afternoon or driving to school. That's worth, you know, an extra 50 to hundred grand a year to me. Now that's not the way it is for everybody, but that's what you just described that one word freedom. Mm. Mm. No. You know, here, let's, let's, let's take this right back to where we started in the quadrant, right? So in that quadrant that you talked about, if you, if you picture in your mind's eye for your listeners, picture in your mind's eye a, a piece of paper and you draw a line down the middle and a line across. So there's four quadrants, top left, put an E for employee, bottom left, S for self-employed, top right, B for big business and um, bottom right, I for investor. Interesting thing is that 95% of the population is on the left-hand side of the quadrant, either employed or self-employed in a small business. According to Robert Kiyosaki, there's no leverage on that side. As a matter of fact, the best that he estimated was 95% of the people are on that side, but only 5% of the wealth in this country. Wow. However, you take it to the right side of the quadrant where you're now getting leverage and finding financial freedom as a big business. And when we say big business, we're not talking about a solopreneur that has, you know, maybe two or three or five or 10 employees or even 50 employees. The true leverage comes when you start having over 100 employees, right? And then investor making your money make money for you. So you're making money while you're sleeping. That's the kind of leverage on that side. Now, that side only has 5% of the population, however, 95% of the wealth. Therein lies the difference between the employee side and the, and the entrepreneur side in terms of that mindset, what can happen on that right-hand side of the quadrant. Yeah, that, that is pretty, fa I didn't know that. That is pretty fascinating. <clears throat> you know, you have people that are spending all their time. And look, when you first get started, if you were to leave your job or if you were to get started as an entrepreneur, maybe in this digital economy, this gig economy, you wouldn't even know what to scale, let alone how to scale. So you get started by earning income and then you can transition over to that right side of the quadrant to be the business owner and the investor. I mean, I guess you could invest too. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, you could do that at any point in time. But when you think about when you first start getting that money that comes in by something that you did, it's a completely different feeling than earning a dollar from uh, some sort of company. You know, maybe they provided you the cubicle and the software or whatever it was. And everything you earned was under their label. When you, I remember, I'll never forget when I made my first dollar on the internet. Um, it was in affiliate marketing just because I was out there. I got an affiliate link and I put it out there on, and somebody bought through it and I got paid like $20. I'm like, oh my God, I didn't even work for that. <laughs> All I did was put a link out there and somebody in a forum, because Facebook wasn't around or anything like that. Heck, MySpace wasn't even around. But somebody in a forum saw it, clicked on the link and bought the product and I got paid. And I thought, holy crap. I mean, my mind was blown. I know. I thought, honestly, I looked over my shoulder. I thought I was going to get like the FBI was going to come get me or something because it didn't even seem real that you could do that. And I think once you get a taste of earning that first dollar, that's your money. It's a completely different uh, euphoria that you experienced. When do you remember your first entrepreneurial dollar that you earned as an adult, like in your twenties or thirties or forties, when you thought, "Holy cow, this is this is different." Well, you qualified it because I remember earning my first dollar, you know, with my paper route and with my uh, shoveling driveways, washing cars, and uh, you know, mowing lawns. That was uh, where it began for me. And I think a lot of guys are, and gals, of course, uh, are the same way when they get started as a kid with a lemonade stand. 
But I think uh, as an adult, um, it w- I started in business for myself from from day one. I didn't oh, no go kidding. to work okay. for someone else. Yeah, I, I started doing my own thing. And I started in the financial services industry way back when I was just getting out of college, actually still in college. And, you know, it's interesting because I'm thinking about the cash flow quadrant book, which is, like I said, one of my favorite books because it teaches people how to leverage themselves. He did another book. And I think that it's interesting to mention it because when I mentioned that on the right hand side of the quadrant, it's only 5% of the population, but 95% of the wealth. Most people that are listening right now might be thinking, well, I'll never get to the side where I have over 100 employees or I have enough money to invest that my my investments are yielding enough money for me to make a good living. And it's true. That takes a lot of money to do that. And it takes a a lot of know-how and skills and risk. However, Robert Kiyosaki wrote a third book. It's called The Business of the 21st Century. And in that book, he describes why he believes network marketing is the industry that more millionaires have been made without the typical and traditional barriers of entry that you would have to get started in a big business or to invest money. So I love the fact that he came out with this book, a guy that is a traditionalist, made his fortune in real estate, which, which is high risk, high reward, but he, he figured out a way to leverage himself and, and use those rich dad philosophies that he, he used from the person that taught him about money. And then he learned, and he was originally a very big skeptic of the network marketing industry. He looked down on it until one of his friends was doing it. And one of his friends in real estate said, the reason that he's doing it is because he can help people and teach them skills that, that they can duplicate through literally anyone that has the desire to do it. And he, it opened up a whole new world for him. And now he's one of the biggest proponents for the industry. So, you know, Sam, we've talked about this on a few podcasts already that, you know, I have a network marketing business that I'm, is one of my largest sources of income that I have out of all the sources of residual income that I generate. This network marketing business actually allows me the freedom to not only invest, but also to, to um, build other businesses because I have this residualized income that comes in from people that are using a very high quality product from a network marketing company that I don't have to manage. I don't have to run or control. It really is the great equalizer. So I, I thought it'd be interesting to bring that up since we brought up the um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad book and the cash flow quadrant. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I mean, Kiyosaki has written so many great, he wrote another one called Retire Young, Retire Rich. And mm-hmm. There's just so many great, and you know, a lot of those titles, you know, you hear them and it's like, oh, that's kind of clickbait or that. Those are great titles. First, you need a great title of a book or nobody's going to open the cover of it. So you really do need something like that. <laughs> but when I saw Retire Young, Retire Rich, I thought, well, geez, I'm only in my mid thirties. I'm still young and I want to retire. I mean, I felt like I could do it. I don't know why. And I really, I had this um, crazy confidence. I mean, I look back now, I'm like, what the hell was I thinking? Why did I ever think I could do something like this? You know, but it's because I just was less fearful about what was going to be in front of me than I was about what I left behind in the form of regret. You know, I knew what every day was going to look like if I stayed in a job, if I Mm -hmm. didn't stay in a job, I had no idea what life was. And it's scary. There's no doubt. It's scary, but it's still, that's what that fueled me more. The excitement and what was yet to come that I had no idea was going to happen 
fueled me way more than, oh, I'm, I'm going to lose my 401k and my health insurance and all that. Because I don't know, again, maybe it was just stupid. I mean, maybe I should have been more worried about taking care of my family and having health insurance and blowing through my entire retirement and all that. But I just, and I don't know where I got it from, but I just started getting almost eaten up from the inside, Murray, about this regret that I was going to have about not going for it, you know, not right. going for my dream. Right. Well, it is. I mean, the, the, the expansion of your life to me, I know we're getting philosophical here, but the expansion is the key to your happiness. And I think that if you're not, you're not going to be happy if you're not secure. And I tell, I told my kids this all the time they were growing up. I tell anyone that will listen to me that there's no feeling in the world like having financial security, like having a financial wall built around your family. There's nothing like that because it allows you to concentrate on the things in life that are actually most important because you're not worrying about the bills. And I will tell you that, uh, you know, if you've ever heard have you ever heard the adage about it's kind of a trick question? If I if I promise to pay you a thousand dollars a day yeah. starting today, and I'll continue to pay that for thirty days, you know, at the end of thirty days, you're going to have thirty thousand dollars guaranteed. Or would you be the type of person that would gamble and let me pay you a penny today, but I would double it every day for thirty days? So on day two you'd have two pennies, and on day three you'd have four pennies, and because I already set this up as a true question, you know, the answer is going to be the opposite of what you think. Most people would, of course, say, well, I would take the thousand dollars a day because we want instant gratification. But the truth is, if you double a penny every day for a 30 day month, by the 10th day, it's five thousand dollars. And then by the 20th day, it's fifty thousand. But by the 30th day, it's five million dollars. And that's when you really will be hoping for a 31 day month to turn it into ten million dollars. That's truly what you have to have to be an entrepreneur. You have to be able to delay gratification and build a compounding effect into your growth, which is exciting. That is, I love that. I mean, that right there really solidifies, like when I work with clients one-on-one, -on -one, and I'm sure the people you work with as well, Murray, when you bring them into your business or when you consult with them one-on-one, -on -one, mm -hmm. you, you have to vet them in a sense of, look, do you, what's your expectations here? Because I didn't hit that compound effect in my business, this podcasting every day, a Saturday speaking business until six years in. Wow. You know, like wow. I didn't get booked to speak on a major stage to even sell anything until T. Harv Eckers company called me and they just heard about me because I was at somebody else's event speaking to 15 people <laughs> in a breakout group. And just one of them happened to be the booking agent for Harv Ecker. And she's wow. like, where the hell have you been? I go, what do you, I live in, I was living in Buffalo at the time for about eight. I go, I live in Buffalo. She goes, no, like, where have you been? You're so energetic and dynamic. Do you, would you go to Australia next month? I go, hell, I don't even know where that is, but I'll, I'll be, I'll be happy to go. And little did I know what I, I that was a very long trip by the way, but on the way back from Australia, um, I spoke at that event, sold like 20, $25,000 from the platform, which was ridiculous money. I'd never even seen that much speaking before from selling a product, wow. I sold a product for nine ninety seven, and I sold, you know, do, do the a math, 20, 25 of them, you know, <laughs> and then on, I'm, I'm waiting. I flew back, uh, Australia to LA and the, the flight arrived at 6am in LA, jumped on a seven o'clock flight, sat in the middle seat of this jet, took that to Detroit got to Detroit at like five o'clock Eastern time to jump on some puddle jumper. That'll take me over Lake Erie to get back to Buffalo. And in between, while I'm waiting in line, I get a phone call and 
the lady says, this Sam Crowley? I go, yeah. She goes, hey, I heard you did really well in Australia. I go, oh, as a matter of fact, I'm just, I'm, 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 I'm just, I'm like so tired. I hadn't slept. She goes, could you speak in Los Angeles next month? I go, all right. And at that <laughs> event, Murray, I sold $125,000 from the platform oh. in one hour. Oh. And that was it. My life changed forever. And I remember taking the flight back from LA to Buffalo. I could not believe it. And I'm doing all the order forms. I connected to the Wi-Fi on Delta and I'm just typing in 997, 997 to 125 times in my merchant account to do the billing because I didn't have anybody working for me. And the guy next to me finally says, what are you doing? I go, I'm putting in the orders. I'm a speaker. I sold on stage. He goes, what do you, I don't get, and, and nobody got, I wouldn't get it either. And so I explained it to him. He goes, holy shit. And so anyway, I tell you all of that, that this compound effect will happen for you, but you just, you don't know when, you know, you got to be able good to point. stick, stay in the game. It is, it is a really good point. And you know, uh, another thing, um, when we were on our, our previous podcast last week, um, you kind of threw a question out at me, like, you know, is, is this network marketing thing really something that can work? You know, I'm not a network marketing guy and, right. you know, and you kind of just put it in a way that most people think of it, like maybe it's a pyramid and is this thing legal and do I have to bother my friends and family and people get all, they, they get all caught up in, in what the perception is of network marketing. And I've been telling people for years, network marketing can work for anyone, people that are down on their luck or, you know, have gone through a bankruptcy or, or you know, haven't had success in business or people that are very professional, that are consultants or that own businesses or have a lot of success. And I can follow that story up today with the reason that I was in Atlanta. My wife and I flew down to Atlanta to meet with a gentleman who owns a large business, built it from the ground up. And we introduced him to the network marketing model. And over the phone and over a couple of Zoom calls, he fell in love with it. And he invited us to come down to Atlanta to meet with him personally, meet at his corporate offices. This is a man that has a business that currently is doing just shy of $30 million a year, 29 million and change per year in his company. And not only is he now part of our business in the network marketing business, but he is so enamored with it. And he's bringing in these people like himself that understand leveraging and, and having a, a, a product that you can actually capture a large segment of the consumer market in a particular category. In our particular category, it's anti-aging and, and nutrition and wellness and, and, and everything that has to do with just being fit and being healthy. And he fell in love with it. So Sam, to follow up that question that you had to me, it's for anyone that wants to find that leverage in their life that you're talking about getting to the right hand side of the quadrant. It's very, very exciting when you can do that if you don't already have a way of doing that in your current situation. So it's, it's important that people understand that. No, it is. I mean, obviously, you are a proponent of network marketing. And for good reason. It's funny. Mm. You know, I know a lot of successful people in network marketing. And I know a lot of unsuccessful ones in network marketing, just like any business, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and the mindset always comes the way you position that nobody explains it that way. You know what I mean? Like, and you attract successful people. And we talked about how to be a money magnet on the last episode. Yes. And you attract successful people into your life because of the language. And I think, you know, maybe we can wrap it up here and go into language on the next one, because that's yeah. so critical about how you show up every day. Like you will not be knocked off the network marketing 
like, I don't want to call it a pedestal in a, in a derogatory manner, but nobody's going to knock you off that perch. Like you will defend it. Not in a, Oh, you don't know what you're talking about. You're just very matter of fact because you have the success, you know, mm, and you have the numbers to back it up. And I think that's really important in whatever you decide to do that, you know, you need to be able to argue for your convictions because if not, people are just going to steamroll you. And like what I brought up last week on, Oh, it's a pyramid scheme. I don't want to draw circles on napkins and have whiteboard meetings in my living room. Right. You very calmly and matter of factly just dismissed that. And, you know, just said, well, that's unfortunate, but that's not the way it is. You know, and that's, that's exactly right. And because my belief is unshakable because of the, all the lives that I've seen changed in the industry. And, and there are, like you said, there are failures in every industry. There are people that don't stick with it and mm -hmm. they don't have that mindset of delayed gratification, or perhaps they're with the wrong company or the wrong product. And those things are important on how you choose a company. Maybe someday we'll talk about that on a podcast, but most importantly is that you have to understand in order to go long-term and be successful in anything, you have to have a strong conviction. As you said, the yes. person with the strongest conviction is always going to walk away a winner in any situation in life. And in this is no different in business or in a, you know, a network marketing company or whatever it is that you're pursuing. Dead on. So the next podcast that we do is going to be titled Unshakable Belief. Mm, I love it. I'm going to write that down. And I think that's going to be because here's why people listen to this podcast, Murray. They listen to it. When you said, hey, well, we're going to get a little bit philosophical when you were talking over. That's why people listen to this show. They want that. They want to know. They, they're all the how-to stuff. Everything is figure outable. You know, how to build a website, how to start an online business, how to be affiliate, whatever that is. You can Google that. What you can't get that people tune into this podcast for is to get your mind calibrated in a way that you will be set up, not guaranteed, but set up for success. That's exactly what people want to hear is when you were talking philosophically about, you know, the advice that you give to your children and feeling secure and all of that. That's why people listen to this podcast. So I think the next one titling it unshakable belief would be amazing. I love it. I love it. Let's do it, Sam. This is awesome. All right, Murray Miller, uh, thanks for coming on the Everyday Saturday podcast. We've made Murray a regular feature and a guest. He's taking time out of his super busy schedule. He's not kidding. I was texting him. He's down in Atlanta. He's got this meeting, that meeting. Can we do it here? Can we do it there? So it's just great to have you in, inside the community, Murray, and uh, always a blessing to be able to get your advice, man. Thanks. Great to be here, Sam. All right, everybody, that's a wrap for the Everyday Saturday podcast. And remember, have the best day ever. And that's a wrap. Another Everyday Saturday podcast in the books. Thanks so much for listening. Would you do your boy a favor? Would you get on iTunes or wherever you listen to the Everyday Saturday podcast and leave a rating for the show? It helps amazing people like you find the show faster. And that's what I'm looking for, amazing people like you. Hey, I'm always hanging out on the interwebs. You can check me out on Instagram, at Everyday is Saturday. Let me know you're listening to the show. Love, 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 love hearing from fans of the Everyday Saturday podcast. And one last thing, when you're ready to launch, get on my calendar, go to launchwithsam.com. You and I are going to work together to set rocket fuel to your dream. Are you ready? Let's do it. I'll see you on the next Everyday is Saturday podcast.